Good morning, and uh, welcome to Community Baptist Church, and thank you for joining in worship with us as we meet, meet, meet before the Lord and seek to serve Him and worship Him in an acceptable manner. It's warmer here than it is in Indiana. That's about all I can tell you. <laughs> but we are glad to be back. I was glad to escape. Uh, Charlie said it was too below in Warsaw. Well, Warsaw is just 20 miles from our house, so it's pretty chilly there. And it's chilly here, but I'm glad I'm here instead of there. And to be with you. I have a card here from Bob and Mary. It says, Dear Church, Seeing you all and being with all of you is the highlight of our lives, with an exclamation mark after it. We thank our Lord that he allows us to enjoy your love and to pray for you. And thank you for the love gift. That was really neat, the way you halved it. We never went to kindergarten, so sharing is not one of our strong points. <laughs> love, Bob and Mary. Okay. Halved it. That's pretty cool. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I might have to put in for that next year myself. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll put in my request now, but that's just, that is if I'm still alive then. <laughs> okay. Well, we appreciate it. We had a good time New Year's Eve also. On the 31st, we had lots of good food. We They're not here to hear us say it. Maybe they'll get on the Internet and listen or get the CD or something. But Shirley and Harris, we thank them for coming in, setting everything up and getting it ready. Uh, they put a lot of work into that. We had a lot of good food and a lot of good fun, a lot of good fellowship. And we didn't stick around long. But I, my favorite, um, what should I say, experience, favorite time, the testimonies, and Mary made the comment, we are on holy ground. Boy, that was just a good reminder of what it is when you really testify, bear witness to what God has done in your life and where he's brought you. And boy, he has done great things for us. And we look even back, just as Jerry said, just over the past year and see the great things the Lord has done. And and it is a wonderful thing. We really are grateful for the time we had to spend together. And I enjoyed it greatly. More than the food. I really did. Philippians chapter 1. We have Anna and Danny and Brittany with us this morning. Uh, visiting once again. They're not strangers or anything like that but Brittany's visiting for her first time that's uh danny's girlfriend so we're glad to have her here with us and and uh, enjoy your fellowship as well philippians chapter one i want to read the first 11 verses this morning paul and timothy or timotheus the servants of jesus christ to all the saints in christ jesus which are at philippi with the bishops and deacons Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. 
I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making request with joy. Was Paul from the south making every prayer of mine for you all? For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, (coughs) ye all are partakers of my grace. (coughs) For God is my record. How greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, unto the glory and praise of God. Let's pray. Father, bless, we pray, these words of yours and what you have given us concerning our lives, our relationship with you, and our relationship with each other. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Paul, of course, it's always wise to look at the context of of what you're about to read or study out of one of these letters or epistles and of course, Paul, on his second missionary journey, visited this city, Philippi. And we had the first European convert there, Lydia, at that, at that uh, stopover. And, of course, there was the church then that was formed in Philippi because of those who had received Christ and received the gospel message that Paul delivered to them. As a matter of fact, he even mentions so much in verse 1 and, uh, that there were bishops and deacons. Uh, so there was evidently a fair number that had received the Lord. Enough so that there, were, there was appointed a plurality there of bishops or overseers and deacons or servants. Those who would oversee this fledgling church. Of course, there's an overseer for even mature churches and those who have grown in the Lord. And Paul says in verse 3, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. That was a, a special thing that Paul mentions, just like sort of like a thank you card here that we just read this morning. Seeing you all and being with you all is the highlight of our lives. Paul's was a memory, a remembrance. He remembered the folks at Philippi, and he prayed for them. He thanked them in his memory of them for their fellowship in the gospel. Now, the word fellowship in... Philippians is an important word. It occurs more than one, on one occasion here. Their fellowship, their partnership, their sharing together 
You know, a couple of the apostles were partners in a fishing business. It's a different word, but they were joined together. Here, fellowship with a common purpose or a common cause, a common thing that binds them together, the koinonia. From the very first day, he says, until now. This had been a continuous ongoing thing. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Christ. And this this day of Christ sets the stage for what Paul says in this epistle because the day of Christ refers both to the manifestation or the revealing of Christ and his coming rule, his coming reign, the Messiah's reign. That's what the Messiah was all about. The promise that there would come a ruler who would rule this earth. And John tells us 4,000 years. Who would bring in righteousness and peace. And so Paul's commendation of these Philippian believers and his gratitude and thankfulness for their fellowship, he says, and the work which he had begun in them upon their reception of this gospel message concerning the coming kingdom, he said would continue until he is manifested, revealed to us. And is enthroned. Takes his promised place. And is crowned to rule this earth. Now Paul indicates in verse 7 that it is meet or proper. The right thing for me to think this of you all because I have you in my heart. I mean, what if you have someone in your heart. It would certainly not be proper to think in a negative fashion about him as a Christian, as a fellow believer in Christ, as one who in common held to the coming hope that was promised. And he tells them there, both in my bonds, that is, in my imprisonment, and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. You all are partakers of my grace. It was both while Paul was in prison, as well as in Paul's defense or his apology for the gospel. And also his confirmation of the gospel. For God is my record, in verse 8, my witness. God is my testimony, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. Those those little phrase, well, it's actually kind of a long phrase. Greatly I long after is all just one Greek word. Greatly I long after. To desire, to yearn after with intensity. To lust after in the positive sense. We know that lust can mean negatively or positively. Here, 
The word lust is not used, but it's the idea that I lust after, I long after, I yearn for you in the bowels or the tender mercies of Jesus Christ. Now, the word bowels there is just exactly what it says in English. It's your guts. But it implied a very deep, emotional yearning and longing for these Philippian believers in the very tender, intimate mercies of Jesus Christ. And we talk, well, here we go. Let's read it again. You all... Seeing you all and being with you all is the highlight of our lives. We thank our Lord that he allows us to enjoy your love and to pray for you. Now, that can't be any more than what Paul's really saying here. When you find your joy and your most intimate expressions in the community of believers who hold the same hope and faith, then we can talk like Paul. We can speak as Paul speaks. You found the center of joy in Christ. Now, of course, many people look at the whole epistle of um, Philippians and they call it the, the joy epistle. Or if you pick up a commentary um, <clears throat> on Philippians, quite often you'll find the word joy in the title of the commentary. Because of the, the numerous times you find the word joy and rejoice in this epistle. This is where you'll find the depth, the most ultimate, intimate meaning of your joy is in the fellowship of these that Paul longed for at Philippi. How, you know, so we're just trying to picture Paul sitting in jail, writing this letter, and I say jail, don't think of Mayberry's jail. It was far worse than that. Cold and dark and Dreary place, not a pleasant place to be. And here he sits writing this epistle, and in his heart, in his mind, in his memory, as he thinks back about his trip to Philippi, and he thinks about those who had received the gospel as he was preaching there. It just brought the most intimate, sincere, heartfelt joy to Paul. And he longed for them. He longed to be with them. We have that privilege week after week after week. And if you're anything like me, sometimes we just take it for granted. And we presume upon it. Rather than taking knowledge, taking a hold of the fact of what God has given us, in Jesus Christ. In this assembly. In this ministry. In this church, if you will. This gathering. I like the word gathering as a biblical term for what church means. Because it means when God's people are gathered together. And you would certainly like to think. And I think in the long haul, it does manifest itself and, and reveal itself in this fashion that those of like-minded faith hang together. 
And that's really what Paul's talking about here. This unity, this fellowship in the gospel. Those who long and desire to be with one another. If you do not have this common hope that Paul's talking about, then why wouldn't you just leave and go to a church where they got some really neat program and they got all kinds of things going on? They got basketball courts, fellowship halls, lounges, you know, nice chairs to sit in, all kinds of cool things. I mean, I'd go. Why would I want to hang around here? Don't, it's because of you. That's why I came here. No other reason. That's why it's so painful when you see people leave. For other reasons. Reasons that are outside the bounds of loving, craving after, yearning after, desiring this word and the fellowship of those who also long for it and desire it. Now, here in verses 9, 10, and 11, Paul's praying. He has a prayer here in this letter. Of course, Paul's prayed this prayer. The Philippians, they wouldn't get this prayer for probably several weeks, maybe two or three months, depending on how quickly he could get it on a ship and get someone to carry it to them. And so they would read this prayer. And this is Paul telling them, here's what I pray for when I pray for you. And, of course, it's a good pattern, a good uh, outline, as it were, of how we can pray. Of course, there's more than one in Scripture. If you turn over to Ephesians or to Colossians, you know, there's prayers of Paul there that you could copy and follow, some a little more detailed than this. But this gives us, in essence, what Paul wanted to say to those believers at Philippi. And so he said, this I pray. Well, here's his prayer. It, it has content to it. Number one, that your love may abound yet more and more. Wow, that your love may abound more. Now, he just got done talking about the love, the fellowship, the tender mercies, the intense yearning and longing he had for them and his memory of them, but yet his prayer is that their love might abound more and more. And how is it to abound? In knowledge and in all judgment. Two things mentioned here. Knowledge and judgment. Now, the word knowledge is our common word. Um, well, not, maybe not so common. Common as far as our understanding is. Gnosis, epignosis, that full, mature knowledge and, he says, judgment. Judgment that implies, it's the word chronos, and, and it, it's talking about um, discernment, insight, spiritual understanding. <coughs> now, how is love going to grow through knowledge 
and judgment. You know, there's a couple of ways you could look at this. Is there love? It was Paul praying that the love of the Philippian believers would grow outwardly towards others in knowledge and judgment? Or was Paul talking about their inward growth in knowledge and in judgment? I don't know. And anybody else that I could read after didn't really seem to know either. (laughs) So I'm going to say, I suppose we could look at it both ways. Or suggest the possibilities both ways. I like what one writer said, though. He said, just try to picture knowledge and judgment is like the banks of a river. Knowledge on one side, judgment on the other, and the river is love. And that knowledge, mature knowledge, the intensity of knowledge, the epignosis, as well as the judgment of spiritual insight, discernment of a depth of understanding, keeps Love within the banks of the river. And so by having this, you know, it it would tend to point inwardly. That these two things would hold that love, keep that love where it ought to be. And I think in a great measure, that's exactly what what it would do. Stagnation. In other words, just bumping along in life as a Christian, just resting in the fact that you have received the gospel, you know the Lord Jesus, and that's good enough for me. And I'll just come to church and go home each week, you know, and and enjoy life and just get through it and, you know, everything's going to work out all right. As opposed to, A dynamic life. Not a static life, but a dynamic life. A life that is continually maturing and growing and increasing in knowledge and gaining a depth of perception. Whether it's about other people and your relationship to them or whether it's about spiritual insight concerning yourself and your relationship with the Lord but you're continuing to grow. You're moving on towards maturity. Now, this whole idea, um, abounding yet more and more in knowledge and in all understanding, spiritual perception. Turn with me over to Isaiah chapter 11 for a minute. Isaiah chapter 11 a well-known passage, prophetically that is, speaking of the coming of Christ, the Messiah, here called the branch. And in chapter 11 and verse 1 it says, And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, 
the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord, and shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears. In other words, he has another standard by which he will judge. Well, there's an interesting phrase here as well. In verse 3, when it says, and shall make him of quick understanding, in Hebrew is all one word. And it's a form of the same word we find in verse 2 that's translated spirit. Spirit, 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 all the same in verse 2. When you come to verse 3, it's the same word, just a little slight variation. And it's translated in various ways. You see, we just read the King James translation. Rotherham translates it this way, so will he find fragrance. I don't know if some of you may have a, in the margin of your Bible, I think it says of quick scent. Some authorized version Bibles have in the margin an alternate uh, translation there, quick scent. And you think of smell. It, by the way, the word there, of course, in the, in, uh, for spirit is the same as it is in the New Testament. It just means breath, smell, that, that, and he carries with it that idea of a discernment again, a sensitivity to something. Young's trans, literal translation, it says, to refresh him. And the English Revised Version and the English Standard Version both say, and his delight shall be. And, of course, it's giving a heavy allusion to that idea of the smell. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. And so I think when you think about the spirit of the Messiah, and we've talked about this just a little bit in the past, the, the demeanor, the character, the spirit with which Messiah was to function and live amongst us, Paul, in essence, is saying here that we need to have that same kind of spirit. We need to grow to develop that spirit of discernment and understanding and knowledge. Now, in verse 10, he says, and of course, this prayer here now, it, has, it starts off with this clause, a purpose clause, that your love. In verse 10, you have an, uh, uh, another clause that says that, another purpose clause, that ye may approve things that are excellent. So having this kind of spirit, this kind of discernment, and this depth of knowledge and understanding enables you to approve things that are excellent. The word approve there is our familiar word, dokimas or dokimazo, and it has to do with being able to judge or approve, putting something to the test and then approving of it. Now, when he says approving of things that are excellent and this putting things to the test, he's not talking here about 
being able to discern between what is good and what is bad necessarily. You remember the idea here is spiritual growth, moving on to a higher level. And so the analogy he's making here is that we would be able to discern that which is better from that which is best. You see, there are many good things that we can enjoy as Christians. But as you grow in maturity, you choose the best things. Some things may be better, but other things are the best. And really, this if you just think real simply about it, it has to do with spiritual development, spiritual growth. Many take the attitude or idea, well, the Bible doesn't say anything about that, so it looks like it's okay for me to do this or that or whatever it might be, and they choose to do it. But the mark of maturity is the one who chooses the better thing, the higher thing. The best thing. And we all have things in our lives that we need to examine. All of us have things that we need to check up on in making sure that we're choosing the best things. The things that are excellent. The things that are superior and the very best. And then he gives another clause. The ultimate clause, a final purpose, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. And we see that again. Till the day of Jesus Christ in verse 6, till the day of Christ in verse 10. And you catch Paul's drift, as it were, that there is a movement in the Christian life. There is a goal to which we are going and proceeding. And he tells us there, then, this final, ultimate purpose at the day of Christ is that we may be found sincere. I'm very, very sure that most of you have studied that or heard this word preached about, the word sincere, It's the only time it appears in in the New Testament. And the literal meaning of that just means genuine. Literally, without wax. Without wax. And it has reference to those who would, in the market, sell their wares, whether it was furniture or whether it was pottery or some other such thing. It would just, it had a little defect in it. You just melt some wax. You put it in the little crack there and smooth it over. And, and then you can put a little stain on it or paint over it. And voila, you'll never know. You rush to the market. You buy that beautiful piece of pottery. And you take it down by the well. And you're sitting there in the hot sun waiting your turn to draw your water. And all of a sudden, the wax starts to melt. And the imperfections are revealed. Paul is saying that we 
our ultimate goal should be at the day of Jesus Christ and his coming to this earth to be manifest, to become a ruler over this earth, but also to judge, is that we might be found there without any wax. No cracks. We're complete and we're mature. A good piece of pottery. No defects in it. You're genuine. And he also says, without offense, till the day of Christ. Look over at Acts chapter 24 and verse 16. Acts chapter 24 and verse 16. Without offense means not stumbling. Whether it means putting a stumbling block before someone else or whether it means you haven't stumbled yourself. In the context here, it seems to me like it would mean you haven't stumbled yourself. You're going to appear at the day of Christ without having stumbled along the way. Over here in Acts 24, 16, Paul says in regards to his defense before Felix, he's testifying here, and herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. It's a dual thing. Paul's purpose, his desire was to not be an offense on the day of Christ towards God or towards my fellow man. Another one I'd like for us to look at. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 32. 1 Corinthians 10, 32. We'll see another instance of the use of this word of not giving offense. Now, In verse 31, he says, Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. I suppose most of us could just about quote that verse um, without having to read it. But then in verse 32, he says, Give none offense, neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God. No stumbling block. Don't let yourself be tripped up, nor do you put a stumbling block before someone else that will trip them up in their walk with the Lord. Now, this whole idea of being tripped up, a stumbling block, if you just go back a little bit earlier in chapter 10, we find that Paul is talking, well, actually back in, in, in chapter 9, he's talking about being in the race. And racing to receive the prize. And running according to the rules and not stumbling along the way. But finishing the race completely. And then in chapter 10, he gives us an example. Those in the wilderness who did stumble along the way. And notice in verse 12 what he says about them. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, 
lest he fall. The whole context in which Paul's speaking here is about stumbling in the race, falling down, failing to reach the goal, and getting to the end where you can receive the prize. Now, of course, in Philippians, Paul just says, the day of Christ. At the judgment seat, where the prize will be meted out to those who have successfully run the race. To fall along the way. Can we fall? Certainly can. Can we get back up? By all means. And I'm puzzled, I guess I should say, by some things in Scripture because it seems to indicate that we can fall many times and get back up and stay in the race. But there seems to be some indications also, and I don't know what context those are all in exactly, how to understand them, but you can fall one time and just blow it all to pieces. And that's all it takes is one. That's all it took for the wilderness generation when they came out of Egypt. There was several of them that committed one crime, and that was it. I think all of it just simply speaks to our hearts to tell us that we need to be moving forward in prayer, in spiritual growth, a knowledge and understanding of the word, in becoming discerning, whether it's others around us or whether it's for our own selves. And, man, I'm telling you, this, this, <laughs> the study of this just beat me up bad. I can just tell you that right now. It hurt because I saw a lot of things I need to work on. And all I say was, thank God none of us are there yet. I know you're right there with me. But we've got a long way to go. Thank God we have somebody like Paul who prayed for those believers. And when we pray for each other, it'll help us. This fellowship, this sticking together, this being one in Christ, joining together is what helps keep us from falling, keeps us strong. Now, he goes on to say there then in verse 11, notice the, the character then of what he sought for in the Philippian believers. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness. Now, all that means is, you know, righteousness there is just your practical righteousness, your daily conduct, the way you live. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. There is an ultimate outcome. There is an ultimate purpose for what we're doing. We're not here just to enjoy a good time because that's what good Christians do. There is an end result. And of course, each one of us have to bear our own responsibility 
for how we approach this. This prayer. This necessity for this knowledge, this judgment, the approving of these things that are excellent, the best things. To be genuine and sincere and without offense. I would venture to say I've probably offended some people along the way. And I didn't use my knowledge of the word of God in a good way. Or maybe the right way. But as we grow and as we mature, as we become strong, as we do what Peter admonishes us to do, desire the sincere, not the same word, because remember I said this one only occurs once in the Bible, Desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. The word sincere there just means untainted with anything bad, unadulterated, pure. Pure word of God. Desire it and long after it. Isaiah chapter 61 and verse 3. We'll, we'll quit with this one here. Isaiah 61 and verse 3. And notice this interesting phrasing here. Of course, you can't hardly read verse 3 if you don't read all the first three verses there. To get the setting of it. And you know what verse 1 is all about. <clears throat> the spirit of the Lord God is upon me. This is the, the quotation that Jesus read when he went into the synagogue. And he said, the spirit of God is, or the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all that mourn. To appoint unto them that mourn in Zion. To give unto them beauty for ashes. Of course, when he says to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, he's talking about those who mourn after, who long after Messiah. And he says to appoint unto them Beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called <clears throat> trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. Now you have almost the same kind of words being spoken back here in Philippians one eleven. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness, that which a tree bears. And then the ultimate outcome, which are be Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God, that he might be glorified. This is how we're going to glorify the Lord in the day of his coming, in the day of his appearing, is 
if we appear as trees of righteousness, bearing our righteousnesses sincerely, without offense, as we stand before him. So we've got a lofty goal to work towards. A lofty one indeed. And Paul said in, you know, when he's running that race, and Peter indicated when you're running the race, to gird up the loins of your mind. And Paul said he just doesn't beat wildly at the air, but he keeps his body under subjection. He disciplines it so that he might finish the race successfully and not be disqualified. Even after having preached to others, he said, that I myself won't be disqualified. You know, the thing I like about that is that Paul was indicating to us that he's in the race just like us. Sometimes it's kind of hard for us to understand that when we read the scriptures and and read of the knowledge Paul had and the insight he had into the things of the Lord. But nonetheless, he's in the race. He was in the race, just like you and I. The great thing I enjoy and appreciate, and one of the things that, that really gave my heart joy was when I came to the understanding that God has made every provision in Scripture to finish the race successfully. I do not have to be a failure. I do not have to stumble and fall along the way. God has given us the resource. Jerry mentioned it earlier today in his prayer, the throne of grace. That's what the resource in in Hebrews chapter 4 is all about. It is a throne of grace that we can come to so that we will not fall and fail like those in the wilderness did. And we'll complete the race successfully and arrive at our promised inheritance. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this privilege that we have to live such a life, to have the kind of resources we have to fall back on, uh, to, to reach to in our time of need. We have a throne that we can bow to and call upon and plead for. And just as you said in Hebrews chapter 2, that you would run at the cry for help, that you would be there instantly to meet our need and help us along the way. And so, Lord, we we pray that you would help us to not be um, fearful or to not be so bold as to uh, come to your throne and to seek the help we need. Grant us that grace, Father, that we might arrive successfully at the goal. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, we're going to sing. We'll give you an opportunity to come this morning. If you have a desire in your heart or anything, you want to start this new year off by... I'm not going to be just coming for whatever need you have. You come this morning. We're going to sing from our sheet here when Jesus comes to reward his servants.
Jesus comes to reward his servants, whether it be noon or night. Faithful to him will he find us watching with our lamps all trimmed and bright. Oh, can we say we are ready, brother, ready for the soul's bright home? Say, will he find you and me still watching, waiting, waiting when the Lord shall come? That whole idea of waiting implies that we're ready. Because if you're not, you won't be waiting. You'll be cowering. You'll be hunkered down, fearful, saying, Lord, wait another day. But, of course, we all know that it'll, there's coming a day when it'll just be too late. That's why it behooves us to be ready every day. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this opportunity to fellowship together to worship together, to study your word, to consider the words of encouragement and admonition that you have given us. We pray, Lord, as we depart from these doors and we, we come here to gather together to gain strength and, and encouragement. And then as we depart and go to our homes, many times into places of employment where we don't have each other to lean on, but we carry with us the promise that you have given us in Christ Jesus. We have the knowledge of our fellow believers who are pilgrims along the way with us. Help us to take solace in that, comfort to draw strength. And we'll give you all the thanks and praise. Lord, I pray for those, again, that were mentioned on our prayer list. We ask God that you would just answer according to your uh, desire for each one of these needs. And we'll give you all the thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.